Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another, another brand new episode of Because Cannabis here from Wayward Media, wayward.media. Every single Wednesday, brand new Because Cannabis on our YouTube channel, which you assuredly have subscribed to now so you can get the latest updates when we have amazing interviews like we do today. My name is BC Wayman. On the other side of me, as always, Dustin Kava. How are you today, Dustin? What's up, man? I'm doing amazing. I'm actually really excited to be here. Today's going to be a fun show. By emphasizing how excited you are to be here, are you then saying that normally when you show up, it's not as exciting as it typically is right now? Is that what I'm getting? Are you throwing low-key shade my way, Dustin Kava? (laughs) You know what? What? It's not that. It's actually the more Mm. and more research that I did prior to the show, so much that I listened to and I read resonated, and it's... It was just, it's, it's been an exciting couple of weeks preparing. So I, I don't know. It's, it's been good. It is good. It's been a couple of weeks since we had a chance to interview a guest. You've had a couple of weeks of just us, just Dustin and I talking about Because Cannabis, as we do here every single Wednesday, 4.20 p.m. on our YouTube channel. Don't forget, check us out social media-wise, all that good stuff. Uh, our guest today, strong social media game. Us, Dustin, weak social media game. Like, weak social media game. We, we swear it is a new year. We're trying to hit that resolution bell, a ding-a-ling-ling. Make it, I don't know who rings a resolution bell. Make it a little bit better, right? We're trying to pull it off. Uh, we start by the way we should let people know right away off the rip uh, we are doing a giveaway we have partnered with uh, frequent guest gibby from licit glass uh, to give away free stuff we have a mystery box from licit glass l-i-c-i-t glass licit glass you can go right now to wayward.media slash giveaway wayward.media slash giveaway uh read the instructions there you got to go to social you got to tag us you have to put the world's best hashtag giveaway word uh into there and then we'll get you entered into that giveaway go to wayward.media giveaway and that's where you're going to get all the details we won't bore you now but that's where you go enter the contest licit glass one of the best american glass blowers I don't want to say this side of Hawaii. I'm just saying all of the USA, including every single island uh, that makes up Hawaii. Have you ever been, uh, Dustin, to any of the Hawaiian islands? No, I uh, I lived in Southern California, but I, ne- I I was so close. I was just one last little hop away, and I, I never had the pleasure. I, I had the opportunity once, but some things came up, and I, at the last minute, could not. So, but jealous. Yeah, I am super jealous. I have not been my parents. A little shout out to them. They are trying to get there for their 50th anniversary. I always wonder uh, what it's like when you live in Hawaii every day, if kind of the beautiful weather kind of becomes mundane, right? That's what I want to feel. And I know our guest today, Andy Astra from Spooky Girl Art is nothing but mundane. But tell me, Andy, as you're living in Hawaii every single day and it's beautiful weather and it's sunshine and the sun rises at six o'clock and sets at six o'clock like it's a cloud work beautiful orange or i guess pineapple or grapefruit in this case does it get boring or is every day still just freaking amazing does it never get old um well it's a little bit of both i mean every day is freaking amazing and i think especially (laughs) being from the midwest and especially around this time of year and communicating with friends and family who are going through brutal winter conditions it definitely like the magic is not lost on me for sure but I actually read this really interesting marketing book this year and it was just something I pulled off the shelf in a used bookstore and it was called uh, different and I that's what kind of attracted me to it and the author I can't remember her name now but she made this really interesting case in this chapter about how 
the only real like joy that people find is in change. Like any circumstance that's amazing is going to kind of get old after a time. That's just how people work. And I hate to admit that that's kind of true because I'm, I feel like I'm living in one of the most beautiful places in the world. But I will say every time I get off the plane coming back onto the island, this is like that speak. It's like when the most it's the most beautiful place in the world. Um, but it's definitely not lost on me. But I do think that like, you know, everything we get used to everything after a time. So it's important to mix it up. I, uh, oh, go ahead. Go on. I was just going to say, I got way too much hair to actually be living in any place. Warm. <laughs> but, yeah, like, you're too I, warm. You're too bundled up. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think short hair is in uh, Andy Astor, Andy Astor.com shop, spooky girl uh, Thank you for joining us today. We'll get into all of your art and some of the things you have going on. Uh, but right before we uh, hit record here, right before we started the show, you did mention that you were just back here in the States, back in Michigan, where you grew up and you happened to come in one of the, I think they had a name for it, like a bomb cyclone frozen I bomb. I think of like polar vortex, but I think it was a bomb. Cyclone. It was a bomb cyclone <laughs> vortex day after tomorrow like scenario right so you were back here in michigan when it was you know zero negatives on the thermometer uh when was the last time you were back in the states and was that like the most brutal welcome ever like that's rough man yeah it's been three years since i've been back to michigan um and yes it was my body like shut down i will say the one thing that that was good is that it happened like when i first got there so it was like, you know, it was like throw you in the water, teach you to swim moment. Like it was like the first couple days was really hard. But then after like it dropped to like two degrees and the next week it went back up to like 10, 15 degrees. I was like, oh, this I can is handle fine. this. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you're getting off the plane. They're like worst storm ever. And you're yeah, like, oh. what? yeah, but it was fine after a little while. Um, so you are sitting there. Uh, we have found you, by the way. So we came across and we have gone through the last few weeks. It feels like dusting, talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, but what I would put in that traditional entrepreneurship, like let's make a product and let's sell that product. And so uh, Dustin and I are both creative fellows, by far Dustin more than I. And so uh, when we came across to you, Andy, and had a chance to talk with you, uh, it was, first of all, an absolutely yes. I am fascinated with like science fiction and aliens is my Fox Mulder, trust no one poster, I want to believe right behind me. Uh, yeah, right, indicates. So we had that and we have like your cannabis connection and then we have some of the art you're doing and such. So it was a definite like win. But that's what I think of you in a weird way, Dustin and I were talking before, is you are this kind of entrepreneur newer but just in a very creative fashion do you think of yourself as that like do you think of yourself as a person who is creating business uh with you know some of the like the outer rim thing that you're doing with the outer rim collective and creating and showcasing other artists do you think of yourself as a business person or do you more think of yourself still as an artist like when you have to go out there and you introduce yourself and you shake hands or fist bump or elbow whatever we do or in hawaii yeah right when you do that uh, how do you think of yourself first andy are you a business person or are you an artist at your core i think of myself as a business person first i am an artist at my core um i am both uh but this is my career and this is my job. I, you know, this is something that I, I feel like I'm coming at it, especially out here. Um, I enjoy, always introduce myself as an artist and I, and I usually just wait, there's a lot of assumptions that come alongside of that, mm -hmm. you know, and I, especially being out here where most of the people come from money. Most of the people have like a different background to the arts, you know, a different, like, uh, 
relationship to the artistic and creative world than I do, because this is, you know, I've worked very hard to create a career for myself and to create a sustainable income and to, a, and to get myself to a point where I can do this full time without the help and support of other people. Um, so I do think of myself as an entrepreneur, and you know, you're joking and saying like, you know, people who make a product and then sell it, that's like 70% of what I do. Um, but I do, uh, I am an artist full time. Like I am an artist and entrepreneur. And when I introduce myself, I tend to introduce myself as an artist just because often it's too complicated to really get into the nitty gritty of what I'm doing. So I often yeah. will introduce myself as like an artist and then, you know, meet other artist friends. And at like 2 PM on a, on a Tuesday, they'll be like, Hey, you want to come like go to the beach? And I'll be like, no, I can't. I'm working. Yes. And they'll be like, why? Like doing what? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm also a business owner and a business, you know, like I have all this other stuff. So I'm both. I, I come from an entrepreneur family and a, fa a family of artists who have had that be their career. And so we definitely, the whole family understands that it's creating art, but being able to sustain your living off of that creation are two separate things. And, yeah. and I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it's incredibly powerful when you finally are able to get to that level when this is sustainable to that point and you are doing it. I think it's also, um, I think it also brings up this idea of like, well, what do I do in my free time? What do I do? You know, I, I always made my hobbies into my businesses. And then after the fact, I've always kind of regretted that. Yeah. And and, <laughs> but then there's this also pride of, no, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm making it doing my art. And so there's yes. this blessing in disguise. It, it's, it's this funny balance. And I, I just, I find that really inspiring about you. Thank you. You're absolutely right. It's very complicated and it's especially complicated. I went through that when I first start my first year. So I've now been in business like officially full-time, you know, working every day for three years and um, my first That's the year first milestone that 70 percent fail in the first three years. And so you're kicking right. ass. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you. That feels good. Um, but yeah, I definitely went through that in my first year. Like I all of a sudden my and I think one of the reasons I was so successful is I had been working like five jobs. But then I would come home every night and draw and work on my business and work on my marketing and my social media. And that was fun for me. And then all of a sudden it transitioned over where I would do all that stuff all day long. And at the end of the day, like go to kind of unwind and be like, what should I work more? Like, do I work more? And I did for a long time. But now I'm finally kind of getting to the point where I have other things that I, I do know. It's a hard balance, though, because I think and that's what a lot of people who get into creating their own business, whatever type of product they're putting out there. I think that's what becomes tough, even if you're able to create art, even if you're able to live a freer lifestyle and you're able to talk about, you know, cannabis and psychedelics and get out there. Even if you're able to do all these things. You still, as you said, when someone calls and that's exactly as someone who delves in a lot of artistic things, I do a lot of public performances and such. And so it's a lot of nighttime based activities, right? And so a lot of times people will be at two o'clock on a Tuesday say, Hey, can you do this? And it's like, no, I have, I have things I have to do. But part of being an artist is trying to have that kind of free time, but it is hard when it blends. Was that a struggle? You said, you know, you, you mentioned when Dustin was talking that you were there before, was that a hard thing to go through kind of the grieving of the hobbies into a profession? Was that a difficult transition? 
it was, I don't think I ever really grieved it, but I think it's difficult and I'm sure you guys can relate, but as creative people, so much of your, um, like what you're putting out into the world comes from yourself. And so you have to kind of give yourself this unstructured creative space to have hobbies and have interests. And I know for me, so much of my, you know, weird interests have then translated into my art that people enjoy. And so it's hard for me, like, as I get further into my creative business, and when I started out with that, um, finding like, you know, I'm a very structured person, I'm very organized, it's one of my strengths, which is why I've been able to, you know, be an artist and also succeed at the business side of it. But then being like, okay, and this week is unstructured, creative, hobby time. <laughs> like, that's hard. It's hard to switch it's back so into like, you know, once you're in that mode of like, you're doing all the back end of everything and all the website stuff and all of the talking to everybody and my Patreon and all these things where I'm communicating and like have to have, you know, I'm looking at my computer right now, I have 10 sticky notes out. Then how do you get back to that point? I think the struggle is really getting back to that point where when I wasn't doing this as a job, I was just kind of more free with my just I, just, I just, there wasn't as much weight and much as much pressure on what mm. I was creating. And so I got to that point of inspiration a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. And now I have to, like I said, kind of set aside time to do that. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge to kind of switch over into that mode. And you're in the sunniest, most beautiful place in the world. And so it's, <laughs> if I was in Detroit, I'd be like, fuck this. I'm staying inside. I'm going to paint. It's going to be a wonderful day. No but out there, it's like, oh, this is a very real problem that I'm still struggling with being in Hawaii, where in Detroit, I was like, no wonder I created an entire business. I wasn't doing shit for six months of the year. And here I'm like, what day is it? Where's my phone? I'm like, you know, like, it's very difficult for me like to get back into that mode of like, and I've done very well on social media, like you mentioned. And a lot of that was kind of born out of boredom, really being in the Midwest. And when I started, I didn't come out to Hawaii to move here initially. I came out here to start um, a backpacking trip and I started it in 2020. So I got stuck here and then I got married. <laughs> So a lot of things happen, but um, that really impacted, has impacted how I create and like my focus. It's, it's a lot harder here. God, I got to tell you, as an agenda driven person, which probably is clearly borderline OCD, planning for a backpacking trip that ended in marriage would really throw off my plans. I'd be so mad. Right? It does not fit into the checklist. So I'm like, we don't have time for marriages and getting lost in Hawaii. We got to get, get snack time. It's orange slice time, people. Yeah, my, my backpacking trip is still going to happen at some point. I tell my spouse this all the time. I'm like, yeah, no, this you, this was a detour. It's still going to continue. I planned that trip for a year and a half. Like, that's still going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I feel like now that you've settled, right? It's a good place to settle, though. If you're going to settle, I suppose, uh, settle into Hawaii. So that's kind of where you got Andy in 2020. Uh, let's go back a little bit in time, right? Just as we're getting to know each other. I'm always curious on kind of people's, like, you know, origin story. Is this something where you were kind of like a year old and you had crayons in your hands and, you know, family members were posting pictures saying you were gifted? Uh, gifted? Is this a taught, like, tried and true every day, like hours and hours of muscle memory? When did you go from you know, person doodling to, I want to work and create art that I want other people to view and to look at. Like, what was that? And that's probably a longer time, but like, what was that transition of just hobby to there? Like, how do we get started? When is Andy's first, you know, works of art? Oh, well, I like definitely was questions. one of those kids with a crayon in my hand for sure. And everybody was telling me that I was going to be an artist. Actually, I was always drawing. I like to say um, there's a lot that happened in between, but I like to say that much of what I was drawing as a kid was very similar to what I'm drawing now, just worse. Um, I drew a lot of space princesses. At one point I was drawing 
um, princesses in such revealing outfits that my mom told me I wasn't allowed to go to the grocery store with her because she thought I was looking at like the Cosmo magazines as I was going out <laughs> and like drawing them. And I don't know why. I, who knows why I was drawing like beautiful. I still am drawing beautiful women, you know, whatever. But like I was always that person for sure. And everybody was always telling me that I was going to be an artist. And my my form of teenage rebellion when I went to college, I was like, no, I'm not going to do what everybody says like I'm going to do. So I actually don't have an art degree. I didn't study. I have. I ended up kind of getting a, a fine arts minor, so I, I couldn't stay away from it. But my degree is actually in literature, language, and writing. And I took a break from college my junior year because I was uh, modeling at the time, which was kind of time sensitive, and I was traveling a little bit. And while I was doing that because I wasn't working every single day, it gave me a lot of freedom to draw and to get back into some of these things that had been inspiring me before college and before I was like, oh, screw everybody. And during that time when I um, was kind of taking that break from college and working for myself and, and being exposed to all these creative environments was when I started Spooky Girl. And I didn't ever start it with the intention of like, this is going to be my career. I kind of didn't know what my career was going to be at that point. Um, but after a year of kind of starting the Instagram and doing stuff kind of in this vein of sci-fi, like, you know, all the stuff that I really loved. Um, when I went back to finish my degree in that last year, I decided to do the fine arts minor. And I kind of went into it with this idea of like, okay, illustration is something that I'm interested in. I felt like I had a lot more power and a lot more control. So even with my, my degree with literature, which I'm still happy that I got, um, I was able to kind of do a fine art minor a little bit and like kind of go into the professional illustration world with like a little bit um, on my side. Um, so I definitely was a combination of talent and work, but I don't think there was ever a moment and there's still, I'm still kind of like, it's crazy to find myself here where I was like, I'm going to create something for the world to consume. <laughs> like it just kind of like started. Yes. <laughs> That's how I feel some days though. I just want to make something and you don't, yeah. I don't know. It's I always hard, want to, it's hard to get that right. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm just lucky. I have a lot of people who want to see it. Very good I, point. I always love, it's so hard because art is such a subjective thing. And I come from an industry where, you know, the art was deemed degenerate only because it was a pipe. It was these, you know, the glass blowing community making oh, yeah. really, really intricate, beautiful things. But the fact that you were smoking out of it made it fucking yeah. worthless to everybody in the eyes of art. And so I, I always find it amazing how they persevere through that and find, find the, the, their community throughout it that kind of, you know, lives and breathes and supports it. And when I think back to Detroit specifically, the, the amount of art programs in Detroit and, and just art in general happening there, it's just, it is phenomenal. It really is Michigan glass project and a whole man. Just, I think it's really, it makes a lot of sense when I see your art and then I think of that epicenter, um, I do find it a little sad that you seem to get lumped into this category of psychedelic art. It's like, it's, it's, it's the same thing with like my, my glad the glass blowers with weed. It's they're, they're lumped into this category, but it's really not that category, but it's assumptions. It's, and it, I think, the more and more I've looked at, you know, the followers, your, your base, they're from every walk of life. And it's not just this, oh, I love mushrooms, man. And, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's none of that. It's, it's a whole, it really is so much bigger and so much more beautiful. And how did you, 
how did you break through that barrier? How did you finally get them, you know, how do you make the argument against some of that? Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for all those observations. That was beautifully said. And I agree with everything that you said. And it's nice. It's nice to be seen. It's nice to be seen. So thank you for that. Um, yes, all of those things. And I actually hesitated and I'm still kind of I'm only just in this past year with working with Zoe and kind of uh, publicly aligning myself more with like the psychedelic and cannabis industry and how and I and I now feel like I'm at a point where I can do that because like you said I've built up a following base that is not based around that um, and the short answer is is I worked really hard oftentimes to my own detriment to not be fully associated with uh, the psychedelic and cannabis industry. And I mean, we have to also think in the last eight years, things have changed a lot. And a lot of like things like Meow Wolf. And I mean, I did a Meat Delic uh, conference in Vegas, the, the landscape around psychedelics and cannabis has changed a lot in the last eight years. But when I started Spooky Girl, I was always frustrated with like, I get a lot of questions when I do interviews and stuff. People are like, you must be like taking acid every day. And like, how did you decide you wanted to be a psychedelic artist? And I'm like, actually, I, I'm not. And really, I never decided I wanted to be a psychedelic art. I'm producing the art that speaks to me, that I, I enjoy. I love colorful stuff. I love rainbow shit. Like, you know, like all this stuff. And like, you all decided it was psychedelic art. So <laughs> it's really interesting to me to like, to see that. And I did work very hard in the first, I would say, five years of what I was creating with Spooky Girl to not be completely aligned. Like I was never like, you know, screw those people or whatever, but I was just worked really hard to maintain despite what anyone was saying to me, because everybody was saying just like with glass art, that it wasn't real art that I was selling out, which I think is absurd because everybody who's ever had to make money in their entire lives knowing knows that selling out is a part of being a person and like a capitalist society. Um, but like, I just worked really hard to make sure that, I was reminding people that there is more and there's meaning behind my artwork. Like I was laughing with your X-Files poster. Spooky Girl actually is from the X-Files. It's from Spooky Mulder. Like that's oh, that well idea. Yes. Yeah. yes. Because I always love the idea that like, I think when a lot of people think of spooky, they think of like horror stuff, which is fair. But when I think of spooky, I think of the spooky Mulder, which I think it's hilarious that they always called him spooky for liking aliens. So like I have a lot of substance and meaning behind everything that I do. And I think me taking the time to remind people of that has helped me break out of those barriers. I have to kind of ring back my spookiness part because you're right. You know what? I always pictured, I never really put the correlation that aliens aren't traditionally considered spooky, but yet they constantly would have referred to him <laughs> as spooky Mulder, though his primary thing was alien abduction. And while they're weird and maybe scary, spooky is not. That's usually more your ghost and ghouls and whatnot. So that's a brilliant uh, observation, Andy. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, when I look at it and I see, I guess I could see how people take a look at and could say it's in the psychedelic frame. It's mostly, you know, it's got some darker backgrounds, a lot of colors, a lot of space themed. I see because a lot of the uh, prints have captions and stuff in them. And there's some amazing stuff. You go to shop spooky girl, um, dot com. Actually, I don't totally stop. No. Yeah, shop spooky. Shop I had it in my head. It's shop spooky girl.com shop spooky girl.com. There'll be a link right now in the description, uh, below in the comments and we'll put it on social media. Uh, not that she needs any help. I see a lot of like comic book graphic novel inspiration. Like, I'm a big comic book nerd. And so when I was drawn to it, that's what it reminded me of. And ironically, it is a time that is fueled by drugs. If you look back in like the seventies and kind of the really trippy space stuff that DC was putting out with Jack Kirby and the new gods, it has a lot of that 
feel or what Steve Ditko is doing with Doctor Strange and Marvel. Like it's very kind of in that realm. And so I see it as that. Like that's what I was instantly drawn to. Do you have I'm getting caught on my own saliva here. Do you have like a comic book background? Do you get into comics? I know you do a dabble you in a couple uh, of illustrations. I know she does. She I know she does. Yeah. I, I'm not, oh, you guys do. are cool. You guys are like very observant. Yes, I have a huge background in comics. It's a huge uh, focus of mine. A big inspiration off the bat was the heavy metal in the 80s. Mm. Um, all that type of stuff, like the pulp, uh, pulpy sci-fi, like Frank Franzetta, all the like really retro traditional um, comic. Like, and I would say like heavy metal, I mean, yes, with what you're saying with DC and like that time, I've never been super into DC, although I've, I studied comic books in college. That was my one requirement of getting my literature degree. After I came back, I was like, my focus is graphic novels and comics. So that's actually- Hells to the, degree. yeah. <laughs> that's a giant <laughs> yes. That's so, awesome. Good for you. So that, you're right. Like the, the inspiration, you know, and I, unfortunately, as a realist, knew when I started Spooky Girl that my chances, I still hope for this someday, that my chances of breaking into that industry with the type of work that I like to do and making money at the same time was probably a long shot. So my speech bubbles and the way that I did my kind of one-off pieces was absolutely and is absolutely an ode to my love of graphic novels and comics. And I hope to get into that industry and do more stuff like that someday. But absolutely, it's very heavily inspired by especially that 70s, 80s era um, fantasy sci-fi with the like kind of dark sexual undertones. Like I love I'm all about like, um, you know, girls in a, a chainmail bikini in outer space. Like I, it's just absurd. <laughs> like so I love awesome. it. Like the ridiculousness of it, the camp campiness of it. Like it's I love it. It's that same old argument anytime, you know, if you play like video games, there's always the like what the male armor looks like is like it's covered head to toe face mask and yes. the female armor is like uh, it's like a midriff and they're like, you know, like a chain bikini. And I'm like, that is a completely impractical outfit to fight right. good or evil for. It is completely impractical at the battlefield. Come I on. love it. <laughs> I feel like it's like taking the power back in some ways for me to like, I mean, I know sometimes like people will be like, oh my God, like all your girls are so sexy. Like it's no wonder that all these guys like drool over your art. And I'm like, actually, I think it's mostly women. And I like to think that I'm like taking the power back a little bit with like, I know it's absolutely ridiculous to like draw a beautiful woman in like a, a space suit that's a bikini, but I love it. Like, I don't know. I think it's like, I'm so like, I feel like this is the, absolutely the most strong woman in the entire universe that she can wear an ash, like a spacesuit that's a bikini. I don't know. I feel like when I do it, it's like different. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I'm feeling it. <laughs> I, I, when you first started, even though you take a lot of inspiration from artwork of the past, your artwork was really unique. As you see kind of uh your art style becoming its own category and more and more folks kind of having very similar representations of the, of the I noticed that you are shifting styles in your canvas work a bit more than the, the digital prints and stuff like that. Um, how has it been transitioning from the medium, from going from drawing on, on the tablet to, uh, to painting? Well, I actually started um, as a traditional artist. I started painting. That's always been my strong suit. Um, the tablet's just dope because I can take it anywhere and I have any brush and any colors and anything. So it is, and it is just because of the nature of the media, it is going to look, it's easier for me to create on my my tablet. So that's, it's going to look a little bit different, but one of my strengths and one of the things I, that also has allowed me to be successful is when I started Spooky Girl, I didn't have a tablet. Like I was one of the first people to 
like I, I, I would rent out once a month from a local library. You could check out, it was a really amazing library. You could check out a tablet and it was one of those ones that was like a thousand pounds and you had like 17 cords that you would connect to the, <laughs> you know, and I could only take it into one room. So, and it, at the time that was like a big deal. Everybody's like, oh, like digital art isn't even a thing. And it's crazy to think that was only seven or eight years ago now. Um, but at, when I started all this, I was, I was doing traditional art almost exclusively, like the same type of art I'm doing now, um, but just uh, with watercolor or painting or drawing or whatever markers I got into. But then after um, I started doing digital work, then things kind of took off. And I was one of the first few people to start doing art in this kind of, like creating this genre. Um, so my canvas work and my painting and stuff is really more for me now. Like I'm not selling as much of that stuff. I'm not working on selling as much of that stuff. It's, it's, that's part of the like hobby that we were talking about that. Like I have my work and this is like a way of, of doing things differently, like stretching my creative brain in a lot of ways, but also with a lot of the new mediums on social media, the new formats with videos and everything, it's been so funny seeing this shift because when I first started Spooky Girl, me doing digital art up that in itself was enough of an attention getter. And now we've made this shift eight years later, where if you can actually draw without a tablet, that's the attention getter. So yes, I'm now yes, like, yes. I've come full circle where I'm like back to like, okay, growing my following on like TikTok with Instagram reels all of a sudden is a completely different situation than it has been, you know, when I first started. And now people like, I'll draw stuff and people are like, oh my God, you can paint too. And I'm like, yeah, this has been my whole thing the entire time. So it's been interesting. It's almost like it, they're they're so similar because everything I do is like, I mean, you can see behind me, I've got, this is like my digital work and my traditional work behind me, but it's all the same, right? Like I'm, it's all the same subject matter. It might be a little bit of a different style, but it's all kind of this exploration of sci-fi fantasy with this like cosmic whatever, and then the same color scheme. So right now it's just kind of like, I just kind of organize it into different, like my Instagram is like, you know, my comic book style illustrations and my TikTok is like my painting stuff. And like, I do some like, you know, like my pink fur wall everybody loves. So like I do some like DIY stuff. So it's like, it's actually good for me because it helps me stay interested. It helps me like, you know, create content for all my different pages and it's good. Uh, and we should say you can follow Andy pretty much anywhere. It's Spooky Girl Art. Pick your social media. I think Spooky Girl Art, obviously, you can go to shopspookygirl.com or andyastra.com. You can find links uh, down below in the description. You know, Andy, a couple of, I guess, art topics are in the news, particularly digital art topics over this last year. You know, we've seen the the rise and then fall of the NFTs, which uh, Dustin has had to teach me many of things about, makes me feel super old. Yeah. And nowadays, we have AI-generated art. So we have these kind of two things which seem to be a big topic. So let's start with NFTs uh, and then we'll get to AI generated art. So I guess, where do you stand? Are you, were you for it? Did you jump on it and start creating it? Does it frustrate you, this art and ownership? Do you like the idea that you can sell this version <laughs> of it that someone owns that Dustin seems to uh, really enjoy? Like, where do you stand? What's your opinion on this uh, non-fungible token? Oh my God, did I get that right? Yeah. Is it non-fungible token? Well, Shut the front door. Did it. That's so hard to say, people. It's so hard to say. NFTs. I know Andy is not a fan. Oh, no? I, I, I like to think of myself as being diplomatic about this topic. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I this is the say, least diplomatic, diplomatic answer. <laughs> we all can read I, her body language. I completely understand. Okay, here's where I'm at with NFTs. I had a successful business before producing digital artwork, making an income before NFTs are introduced. I still have a successful business 
producing digital artwork, selling mm -hmm. it and making enough money now after the, the fall of NFTs. Um, I actually was exposed to it pretty early because I was hanging out with some people in Hawaii who were working on NFTs projects, who were working in tech kind of before it all got super public. So I did kind of learn a lot about it right off the bat. And I did do a couple with a friend of mine who was, you know, doing a little gallery, virtual gallery. And I, I also have to say, as a successful digital artist, I completely understand why NFTs have come about. I completely mm -hmm. understand um, the, the issue at hand, which is actually, you know, you're talking about the art scene in Detroit, and I feel so fortunate to have been a part of it before I um, left, but I actually did my first gallery show. I was offered an opportunity to do a gallery show in Detroit. This was 2019 and I was a primarily digital artist. So the question came about, just same question as NFTs, how do I, what is an original digital piece? Mm. And that was the question I had to ask myself. And that's, that's really the question that has brought about NFTs, right? And yeah. so in that moment, I had to kind of figure something out. And what I ended up doing was I did these one-of-one uh, -one huge canvas prints and I did resin pours with glitter over them. So I created, essentially, yes. uh, that's the original. original. Yes. And I declared it the original, you know, that was, right. you know, and I ended up having a collector buy out almost the entire gallery. Um, oh, but all of the awesome. stuff that he owns uh, is the the original. That's the one of one. Even if it's reproduced in print form or whatever, I will never be reproducing it in that way again. And that was kind of the decision I had to make as I was doing the gallery, because in traditional art galleries, as you know, there's the, they exhibit the original piece and then prints or whatever are sold later. So I completely understand, like, as I was asking myself that question a year or two before NFTs kind of came about, when NFTs came about, um, and there's also a movement, there's also Procreate, I think, has a huge, had a huge impact on this because we have to take it also back to when I was getting my huge tablet from the library. Um, Photoshop costs two or $300 to download. So all yes. of a sudden we experienced this huge shift where not only was digital art a thing, but it was widely more accessible than it had been pretty much ever. Mm. So all of a sudden there's everyone has an iPad and you can get procreate for $10 and it has just as much programming. It has basically, you can create vectors. You can create all this stuff that you really needed a grand and like a bunch of all this equipment to do. So that's also where that shift happened, where all of a sudden I wasn't the only person asking that question. How do I take my digital art and create an original? What is the original out of it? So I completely understand why the NFT movement happened the way that it did being within the digital sphere and witnessing how it went because I really have paid a lot of attention to it because people ask me, of course they ask me about this all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I have, I do know some people who are in it, some artists who I feel like are my peers on social media who are obviously thriving and I feel like they're having a lot of fun with it, which is what's important, you know, and they have their own, like they're very passionate about it. Um, but for me, I just kind of knew from the beginning that it was never going to be a good fit and like a good place to direct my energy towards just because what I'm already doing is working. And I already had kind of this tried and true. And part of the thing, like I was saying too, was keeping myself apart from the psychedelic and cannabis industry for better or worse. I like to keep myself kind of exclusive. I don't necessarily jump in on everything that comes out. I don't necessarily align myself with all the things that people think I should be. And again, for better or worse, like I, I am kind of unique in that way. So I kind of just never jumped in on it. I, I, it's not so much NFT by itself. I've been in the space for going on probably nine years or so. And cool. so for me, dealing in highly regulated industries such as the adult industry or the cannabis industry, at every turn we are 
can't get credit card, can't get normal bank account, and you know, can't um, just can't do very, very can't set up an online store, can't a whole, whole manner of things. Every social network we are kicked off of, and so yeah. when I think of the utility aspect of what the blockchain actually offers in terms of artists. I think of the secondary market utility. It's not so much this digital piece of art that is this NFT that that's all it is. It's what other utility does this NFT provide as a holder of it? Is it that I actually have my original and this is this representation of this original that I have? Is it that when I resell it on the secondary market, you get an additional cut of that resale as that transfers over the original artwork on canvas transfers with the digital along with you getting 15% or I think of like my stepfather and what happens to the 250 canvas, you know, canvas works that he has. And how do I, how do I protect that? How do you protect that legacy? How do you, how do you keep that going and maintaining that, want that authenticity to it after the fact and so it's like i see that the nonsense behind it especially when the whole system is not even understood where that actual digital file is being stored is not necessarily forever and once that server deletes it that nft is kind of null and void even though that certificate is there there's a lot of nuances that the community doesn't even understand as they're selling this shit. But at the same point, I want you guys to make more money after you've sold the print already or sold this original. And I think that's a great opportunity. Is that something you worry about, Andy? Like people saving your like saving your artwork from the internet and then selling it again? Is that something as a digital artist you feel like you have to chase all the time? Yeah, it happens all the time. Actually, a few different pieces on Amazon right now. I get emails literally every day, and I've already like what? lodged a complaint about it. Yeah, it's constant, and it's honestly, it's not something. Unfortunately, even with NFTs or whatever, it, it's a reality of most artists who have the following that I have on the internet. I like to right. talk to my. I like to gaslight myself into thinking I've made it. You know, not all my designs are still just like a couple of them. So I'm like, oh, you know, this means I've made it. In some way but yeah i do have to deal with that quite often and i worry about it of course as much as anybody does but i also like i see my art everywhere and i think i do a good job at least now with watermarking and stuff where almost all like everything even if it's illegally being reproduced is leading back to me in back. some way and yes. i'm very lucky to have the followers and the loyal like clients and customers that i do have who are constantly like, like i get messages often from people being like oh i call out everybody on. And I actually yes. found you and I'm going to buy something from you now, you know, or whatever. And that's so cool. And that's, it's really great. It's almost like as frustrating as that is, it's equally as wonderful to have all these amazing people who are like, Hey, like I found this person and I'm going to like take them down for you or whatever. Yes. When they actually are on that adventure to find you, finally, the loyalty behind the find, the, the, that, that serotonin, that dopamine level that's triggered of like, oh my God, I just discovered this amazing artist and they're available right here. And it's, you get that loyalty. And so I don't, I don't know. I think you, you have the right mindset to not be completely destroyed when it happens to you, which inevitably will, whether, and, and it's just the art scene in general, it's just kind of what has happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're talking with uh, Andy Astra, andyastra.com, shopspookygirl.com, which is where you're going to go to obviously purchase something. It's funny you mentioned that, Andy, because um, follow her at, or follow them at spookygirlart, because I feel like today, like back in the, I always think of like Lars Ulrich and the Metallica days, like fighting, you know, like Napster and illegal downloads and things like that. And then at some point, artists, whatever type of artist you were, had to accept, you know, that the internet was going to make copies and was going to get out there. But I think today, I feel like in 2023, if you have a like a social media presence of genuineness, you know, which you do at Spooky Girl Art, then you have champions that fight for you. I often go deep dives into Reddits and I will see a piece of art or whatever it is. And you'll <laughs> see instantly there are people who will know where the source came from. And they basically rat you out and shame, shame the person yeah. who tries to copy that. Is it weird sometimes, though, to feel like you have people that are invested in you. Is that a lot of pressure? Like whether it is that communication, you know, as a social media person, right? As a personality who's on there doing multiple things, people feel connection. And so they feel kind of some loyalty, but sometimes loyalty becomes beholdenness of sorts. Is that this balance that you found comfortability with yet? Is it still odd to have people message you or say something to you and be like, yeah, I saw this and you connected and feel like they know you, even though they just resonate through art at something as an artist, is that you enjoy it? Do you struggle with it? How has that journey been these last couple of years as you've gained that notoriety at uh, with Spooky Girl Art? That's a good question. Um, and, you know, it, it is weird. It is weird, but it's it's funny too because I think when a lot of people do reach out and they do feel like they know me because of my art, I can't deny that they do. But mm -hmm. my, my art is this is the inside of my head. It's it's what I put on social media. Like, yeah, I'm not telling everything about every detail about myself, but I'm one of those. I'm just the type of person that I I can't really be anything but myself. And so I think the the weirdest part for me isn't necessarily people feeling like they know me because they they do know a lot about me. It's more the imposter syndrome where I just don't feel like I deserve it. Like, mm. I'm just I, like, that's what I'm still making my peace with. Like, I've like compartmentalized it to a point where like when I post a video, you know, very similar to this, I'll just be like, hey, guys, whatever. And in my head, you know, I blocked out that it's to 125,000 people, you know, like in my head, like, I just don't like that's I've been I do it's in my bedroom, like I'm in my gym. So many of my videos, even on my Instagram, my TikTok are first thing in the morning me in pajamas. Like I've done a very good job of not like getting stressed out by like, I, I just don't think about how many followers I have. And, and I think it's good. For, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's good for me. I'm just a genuine person. I think people do kind of connect with that. But then the weird thing will be when I meet people like or like on the street or whatever, I'll, like see my art somewhere and they'll be like, Oh, my God, like you changed my life or whatever. And I'm like, not trying to discredit their experience. But I'm like, me? Like, <laughs> yeah, like what? Yeah, I'm like, I don't like, that's cool. Or like, I feel this, like I'm embarrassed sometimes when people will like come up to me, like when I do conferences or whatever, and I'm like, oh my God, like you're a spooky girl, blah, blah. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to disappoint them. I'm like, I'm just a guy. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, cool. Thank you so much. Like, I'm so grateful for it. But I think the weirdest part for me is still just feeling like a normal person. Like I recently did yeah. um, some filming in LA with Comedy Central. I was featured on one of their uh, Tales of the Trip videos. And it was just so funny to me because like, you know, I just still think of like, I, again, I'm just like some guy, you know, I just still kind of think of myself as like just a very normal person. And so like having all these experiences, the hardest part for me is kind of feeling like I deserve it or feeling like I um, am, am worthy of it. 
Um, I'm just like so happy to be here. That's just kind of like, that's I'm just like, I'm just happy to be here. Like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would, I really be remiss if we didn't talk about the outer rim. Yes. I really think that it's one thing to do it for yourself. It's one thing to have all the followers. It's another thing to dedicate so much time to kind of showcasing and pursuing that in others and kind of being that extra little support that says, no, 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 I'm going to push you off this cliff. But when you're off of it, I got you. Like, you're going to start this business. You're going to start doing this. And I, um, what made you, what made you get into that instructing that mentorship realm, as opposed to that solitary, I'm going to paint my room, um, type of mindset. Well, I got really bored of solitary painting my room for the last decade. Um, <laughs> so that, uh, gets a little lonely after a while. But no, um, that this has always been my ultimate dream is is helping other people. That sounds like very gay, but like um, I really that it really is what I'm passionate about, truly. And I think I look back on my own experiences and I think for queer people, a lot of people resonate with this. But like looking back on your own experience and how hard like some of the stuff that you've gone through. And like, for me, like there's a lot of reasons why I struggled in my early twenties and young adulthood, but struggling and fighting with everyone to tell them that my business was valid and that my art wasn't just for stoners, you know, like all this stuff, like I fought for that for so long. And I really had to learn so much about starting a business, about getting support from a business, about raising money. And like all this stuff I had to do and it, and it still does feel like I'm fighting against everybody sometimes. And I hate that. And I don't want other people, I want there to be more resources available to people like me, because I think as artists, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, we're all told that that's not real. Even in this society where like you can totally absolutely be a creative and make money. Like I think most uh, creative careers and creative pursuits, especially for young adults and teenagers are just like shut down. It's like, oh, that's cute. Like even still, yeah. when I introduce myself as an artist, people are like, oh, that's cute. And I never correct them. You know, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, okay, like just wait, you know, but um, I don't, I don't like that. And that's one of my biggest passions is advocating kind of against that misconception of uh, creative entrepreneurship and the artistic business being something that's destined to fail. But I also think that there's this um, like as somebody who has an experience with art school and has an experience being taught absolutely no practical skills in the fine art world. I have like both sides of it where it's like in the fine art world, nobody's teaching these because everybody's like, don't sell out, do only what speaks to your heart. Mm. If it takes six months and it's like, okay, no, there's gotta be like, a, there's gotta be a middle ground. So like I encounter a lot of young artists and creatives who um, don't know that compromise between creating something that is meaningful to them, but also creating something that like, in, or understanding marketing and creating something like fitting it into a box that people can consume and enjoy. Um, so with the outer room, I think, and it's still very small, it's still something I'm working on in, in Hawaii. It's a different organized events that all are very challenging, um, but it is that this is a place for me to help my friends. And right now it's mostly just friends and people who are kind of in my community who have questions about, you know, social media changes so much. It's something I'm very good at, you know, it's just, just small things about starting a creative business, but mostly the encouragement that what you're trying to do and what they're trying to do is a real thing. And it's worth that energy, which I think a lot of people are hearing things to the contrary. Uh, it's really interesting, though, to see kind of what happens, you know, when people get together. Do you find as a whole, and I'm always curious because I come from, you know, like we, I do a lot of stand-up comedy and it can be very petty 
is the best word I can think of within the local scene. You want to see your fellow people do well, but it's sometimes they're doing well at the sake of you. Like, if I'll be super real. Like, it's like, I want you to do well, but A, I'm better than that person. And B, now that person's going to get the accolades and the, you know, that comes with it. Do you find in that realm that it is more supportive or more competitive? How is it in the kind of young art scene? Are people pretty much for each other, but do you sense is there competitiveness? Do people get upset if someone does see success and they don't? I mean, I know that happens naturally, but as a whole, how has your experience been as you kind of start to get these young minds together and these young artists, these up and coming artists together? Well, I think in the, I think that, first of all, I think that's absolutely true. In any creative field, there is an element. It's so funny because I always joke that like most people are competitive about normal things like sports or like, I don't know, and I'll get competitive about like drawing something. I'll be like, I can draw that better. You know, <laughs> it's, it's all subjective. People, you know, that's what we have. And that's is something, you know, like, but, but I think what really helped me when I was coming out of college was realizing that the deep realization that everybody's art is truly different. It really is. And especially with the people that I'm working with right now, in our case, uh, we have a woodworker, a, a dyer, like somebody who works with like tie dyes and uh, like natural dyes, and then an illustrator and then a painter. So we have four, mm. like very four different mediums. And it's actually really cool to see how we all inspire each other. And that's also something that I work towards building is and is kind of helping people with that competitive spirit and seeing um, seeing how we can grow from each other. Because that was one of the biggest transformative experiences in art school that I, I did have as an art minor. So I had like the half art school experience. Um, everybody hated me. And that's kind of like very typical for my experience. <laughs> like I'm kind of a lone wolf with like what I'm doing. People either they get it and then they're like um, super hippie like rave heads whatever and like that's not exactly what i'm doing and then like in the fine art community they're like that's not real you know like i just don't really fit i do digital art hmm. and i do traditional art like my genre of stuff really doesn't fit in with a lot of uh, with with many artists in general and i've actually had the really unique experience of as somebody who is a kind of classically trained artist you know watching my work succeed on social media and seeing like you know i could do a design in 10 minutes that says like love yourself and I make, you know, three grand off of it versus like a painting I spend 25 hours on, you know. So I have learned throughout the course of my career that it's not always about who is the best. Mm -hmm. And that is something and like I do think people feel that. But I think that's one of the, my missions with the outer room and with working with young creatives is helping them to see the, the value in having a creative community. Just like because sometimes like I'll be stuck on something and one of my friends will come up and be like, oh, that leaf is weird. I'll be like, oh my God, you know, like that was it, you know, like I need that. And I think that we're, we're so used to being competitive with each other that we have to kind of relearn the benefits of being in a creative community and trusting each other's voices. And so that's something that I feel like is changing. At least I've noticed in my community is changing a little bit and is I think a really good strength to kind of work towards getting away from that comp com competitive spirit. You do consulting for companies as well, right? You help kind of develop marketing or there are some of the, others what do you work with like developing products and stuff like that for them or no and companies is even a strong word i mostly just work i do consulting like with without outside of the outer room like i do i take calls from people and cons i do consulting with people you know all over the world for it's mostly people like me like young creatives who have you know maybe they have a website maybe they are digital artists doing something similar to me and they're just looking for insight and i kind of provide insight as to whatever they want you know insight as to growing their social media following insight into like you know if they're looking for 
practical art advice, like composition, colors, whatever, you know, insight into like, okay, like I can take a look at their stuff and be like, what's working, what's not. And it's pretty basic. And usually I only get, you know, we'll do two or three sessions just to kind of get people again, it's a lot of it's just encouragement being like, no, what you're trying to do is real. And I think that it's really valuable just for people. I like try to make it really accessible because when I was first getting started, I was looking into consultants and I went through this whole 45 minute consultation call with this business consultant. She quoted me at twenty thousand dollars easily and they're like, I was like bye yes <laughs> exactly it. like you understand where i'm at in this right like, like you can... i need help like yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i try to make Artist, it very possible. <laughs> I try to make yeah. you pay a certain amount of money and i'm going to give you real advice if you want to continue you can continue or not because that was my experience again this is all based off my experience where i had nothing like that so i'd like to provide that for people if i can do you ever look down, or not you personally, because I'm sure you don't, uh, but uh, do you feel like sometimes artists look down on, say, people who work in a corporate setting who, say, design logos all day, right? You made me think of this, Andy, when you said, I introduced myself as an artist, but I know people who, for example, create graphic art all day long on request from, you know, insert giant company name here, and it's creative, and it's graphic, and it's pleasing, uh, but it's done kind of on demand in a corporate level. Um, do you think, and they've never introduced themselves as an artist, right? Someone who's a corporate graphic artist never typically says I'm an artist, right? It's the business side first. Do you feel bad for someone who's stuck in there? Do you appreciate that? What do you think <laughs> about people who basically have to do business art, but it's still art? Is that art? I don't know. Is that art? Absolutely. Ah. Everything is art. Absolutely. Everything it's still art. art and more power to them. I actually have a problem with people who have an issue with this. Cause this is something I talk about all the time. I, there's no selling out. Everybody has to work a job. Everybody, ha like, I wish we didn't, you know, but like I have, there's so much power in artists and I know of several graphic designers and they should be introducing themselves as artists. But I, I would guess that there is uh, a lot of uh, credibility. If you're introducing yourself in a professional setting and you say, I'm a graphic designer for this company, or you say, I'm an artist, you're going to get two different reactions. Yeah. So I feel like there is a strength in, there is a strength in, especially in certain situations, inter introducing yourself that way but they're absolutely artists. It is absolutely a strength to be able to work in a creative field as an artist. I know several graphic designers who are also able to then pursue the type of art that they maybe want to pursue in their free time. And often they do get to put their creative spin on it. I know, I also know graphic designers who feel like they don't get a lot of creative freedom, but you know, we all have to like, it's cliche, but to make it in a creative industry, there's a certain amount of paying your dues. There's a certain amount of selling out. Like I was joking about with my drawings where, you know, sometimes I'll do a drawing for two seconds that says, love yourself. I don't love those drawings. I don't love doing that. And I also know like that's a lot of like a, a lot of people assume a lot of my career is like very meme like you know it's not everything but there is a certain element of being an entrepreneur and being a business person that goes along with being an artist and if you're an artist that can accept that about your career that's yes. a strength. I mean, yeah. so many artists who get so caught in the conceptual, like, oh, I just need to create something that's true to myself and they're not making any money and they are, you know are working at Starbucks or whatever but they don't want to sacrifice the perceived integrity of what they're doing when there is a middle ground there's absolutely a middle ground you can do what you want to do and also like and, and more power to you if you're able to do that within a creative career where you're supporting yourself uh that is awesome like that just like i got goosebumps as you're going through that andy like i'm getting fired <laughs> up and you're freaking right like they absolutely should uh can i just tell you one thing that's really since you said it it has been sitting on my mind a you made an assumption of uh of what we know so uh b i did not know that when you go to an art gallery you don't actually get it off the wall that they give you prints 
What? Oh, no. not every time. Uh, I want it. If I'm going to go to an art gallery, I want I mean, them to take it off the wall and give me the original. That's how I roll. I want the original or nothing. Don't I didn't wait. know that was a you thing. You see, if you're at the I gallery and you have the option, you know your wife is looking at you going three grand or the yeah. print. She's that's sending you home point. with the print. That's a valid point. That's really more what it is. Like, yeah, it's more about like affordability. And nobody's paying, or, or some of these, you know, 20 grand or 50 grand, like, or a $20 print. <laughs> what are you going to pick? Always the $20 print. I don't know. I, I feel like I have a ton of prints. I have one actual canvas in my house. And it is something, though, that I think about a lot because I know that the person, when I look at it, right, when I look at it and when I kind of see it, I know that that person physically touched a brush to that canvas to make it. And there's an intense Tense is probably a strong word. There's a connection that I feel in that moment because Absolutely. of its bumpiness and its rigidness, right? It has that naturalness of a brush on canvas. And there's a, a connection that people make. So I get why people like Absolutely. to own the original artwork, right? Like I get that Absolutely. completely. I think it's yeah, awesome. I mean You're awesome, Andy Astra. You're mm -hmm. awesome, Andy Astra. AndyAstra.com. ShopSpookyGirl.com. There are some... We didn't talk enough about the rad artwork that is on shopspookygirl.com, but there is a variety of prints available for, as we uh, just talked about, 20 bucks or so, $10 or so, a lot of different size prints on shopspookygirl.com. It is awesome artwork. I like it. It is 80s alien sci-fi filled. Uh, it is is amazing. It, it just, it's instantly alluring. I love uh, watching it. I love looking at it. I'm really happy, Andy, that you're able to join us today here on Because Cannabis. Spooky Girl Art, pretty much everywhere socially. Uh, they can follow you, check you out on there as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you for stopping by and hanging out with us for an hour to talk a little bit about it. Feeling like fired up. I feel like I want to make something. I wish these Good. hands and this brain Good. made something. Uh, I just, I'm a yapper. These lips are the only thing that makes just noise. <laughs> just lots of noise uh, for most people that know me. Uh, Dustin will make something beautiful tonight. Uh, Andy Astra, andyastra.com, shopspookygirl.com. Thank you so much. Uh, check us out every single Wednesday because cannabis, uh, YouTube, 4.20 p.m. Subscribe. Don't forget wayward.media slash giveaway. Got a giveaway coming up uh, from Lisset Glass. Uh, everyone, have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody.